The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to talk sports with Daryl and Sam. Welcome to Sports Info UM featuring Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. These guys know the sport like nobody else. From former players to coaches to the great figures of the NFL, you'll get the inside scoop on what's going down today in football and other sports. Now, here's Daryl and Sam. And welcome to Sports Info UM. Hey, we got Coach Gordon Roberts with us. What's going on, Coach? Not much, buddy. A lot of good stuff happening in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. One of the biggest weeks of a lot of young men's life is this week, this this past week, uh, over the weekend, um, the NFL Combine. Wow. And they're having it in Indianapolis. Um, it's a lot of things going on in the NFL Combine. But the biggest thing that people are talking about are these two quarterbacks. The, one, the quarterback that won the Heisman Trophy last year and the quarterback that won the Heisman Trophy this year. Of course, we're talking about Mariota and Jameis Winston. Uh, Coach, do you, do you think uh, Mariota has a chance of, uh, of leapfrogging Jameis Winston and being taken ahead of him in this NFL draft? Coach, I don't really think so because uh, even though his feet looked a little quicker in the combine, uh, I think Winston proved uh, he was that kind of special guy because he can throw the deep ball just like crazy. I mean, uh, he threw probably 20 to 24 passes of 30-plus uh, yards, and all of them were right on, matched up with, you know, and these are new receivers you don't normally throw to. So it has to be just the skill of the quarterback to pick up that guy's timing. And uh, he put it right on him. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Coach. I think um, Jameis Winston may be a little more talented than um, um, Marcus Mariota. But I think the jury is still out on his stupidity. You know, uh, and it's just it's just too much time between now and the NFL draft, too many days between now and then for Jameis Winston not to do something stupid and hurt his um, hurt his draft status. So I think the jury is, is still out on him. And um, and and, and, I'll, and I'll say this right off the top. I don't think Tampa Bay will be a good place for him because, matter of fact, one of his victims is is uh, from the Tampa area. So I just don't think that'd be a good fit for him. Well, you know, I'm hoping that uh, he can get over all that. I don't know that he can. Uh, you'd love to see the kid, uh, you know, if he doesn't get picked up by Tampa Bay, I don't know. He might fall way down the list. Well, and and, and that could be true, too. Um, you know, um, as a matter of fact, Tennessee has, has the second pick in the NFL draft. And um, last year they took this quarterback out of LSU early, uh, Mettenberg, and, you know, he just really hasn't panned out. He, he suffered some injuries. He, suffered, he had some injuries 
coming out of college. While he was in college, he had a knee injury. And you just wonder if they're going to take a quarterback. And, and if Tennessee doesn't take a quarterback, um, this this guy, Leonard Williams, you hear his name being thrown around, a defensive lineman out of, out of USC. Uh, he, he said he ran faster than Jameis Winston, and he weighs 307 pounds, 6'3". Coach, uh, you know, there's a bunch of them out there that can run faster. But, I, you know, I think when the bottom line comes across, do you want uh, this kid to maybe be that franchise player that can take your team to the next level? Uh, if anything, I think Mariota will go to uh, – they're talking about the fourth pick is the Jets, and they have an interest. They say they really like Mariota. So I don't know. Hey, uh, and then and then here's another question, Coach. You know, two years ago the Jets took Geno Smith as as their quarterback. Uh, are we are they already willing to give up on him? Ready to give up on him and start with the new rookie quarterback? I just it, it makes me wonder, and I'm not so sure if they're ready to give up on him and and go in that direction already either. You know. Uh, yeah, I think they're they're pretty frustrated with the kid. Uh, I think he was real inconsistent, and, uh, and and I don't know. I don't know. Do you you got new people in there? You got a new core. You got a new coach and staff. You got a new uh, GM. Uh, I think uh, uh, they want a new quarterback. I'll be honest. Hey, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, Jacksonville is sitting there with the third pick and. How many years have we seen the Jaguars with one of the top three picks, if not the top pick in the NFL draft? And it just makes you wonder, what are they going to do with it? Um, I can't see them even considering taking a quarterback. However, I definitely don't see them taking a wide receiver or a defensive back, defensive back with, a, with such a high pick. But I could see them trying to beat, um, beef up their defensive line, taking this kid, Leonard Williams, out of USC, who's supposed to be the do-all, uh, tell-all in this year's um, draft. Well, he's he's supposed to be as good as J.J. Watts, which is hard for me to believe. You know, uh, and you know, Jacksonville has some needs, and uh, if I were them, I would be looking. I think their big problem is they don't have a running back. Uh, but you know, uh, since they lost Drew. Uh, I don't think they've had a running back that can uh, carry it. I don't think the Robinson kid, I, I think he can be a great third down back, but I don't think he can be an every dang old back. No, I don't think he can be an every down back either, Coach. Uh, but at the same time, we know that they're not going to use that pick uh, on a running back. There is no Eric Dickerson coming out of this year's draft. And um, Bo Jackson, he's not coming out of this year's draft, and I don't think they'd waste a pick on on on, a, on any of the backs that's coming out um, this year. I just don't see it happening. Well, I think this Gordon kid may end up being special, uh, the kid uh, uh, out of Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, you may be right, Daryl. They may not uh, use it like that. Uh, they've got some defensive needs. And uh, but I still think they have some offensive needs, uh, and I still think somewhere in the draft process they need to get a better running back. Oh yeah, I, I, there's no doubt. Um, the Gilbert that, kid 
panned out. Yeah, and you know they 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 have this kid um, the mock draft that you look at. They have this kid um, Gordon being the first um, running back taken out out of the in this year's draft, but he's 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 way down towards twenty twenty one twenty three, and um, it it just doesn't look like uh, he's going to be in the top ten picks. It doesn't look like any um, running backs are being are going to be in the top ten picks. And coach, this is you know. When we look at players like Forsett for the um, for the um, the um, Baltimore Ravens, he's a kid that's bounced around the league for years and was not a high draft pick when he was selected. Running backs are found late in the draft. Um, they're they're found in free agency. They're found from schools out of nowhere, and they this is not a real um, you know this is not something that these NFL teams put a uh, put a, a real focus on is getting a, end up getting a running back out of the draft. And when we look at players like Trent Richardson, uh, probably the last high high round running back that was selected, um, you know that's that lets a lot of NFL teams right there say, hey, this is not what we want to waste our our um, our money on. You know, they'd much rather get a defensive lineman that they can work with and develop than a running back that's expected to perform right away and not perform and spend a lot well, of money on it. Yeah, I think one of the problems is is what you ask that guy to do in college in comparison to what you do in pros. I think one of the reasons uh, so many, and I'm not just trying to say this to make you feel good, but so many of the running backs that come out of Miami do so well in the NFL are the fact that they have that kind of mentality uh, that they use their backs the way they use them in the NFL. Most of them come out, they can block, you know, they can protect their quarterback. Uh, they do great check downs and they can also, uh, you know, one of the things that we don't see happening is that that, that back that comes out of a great college program goes in and maybe he's a great running downhill back. But that isn't what it takes to be a good back in the NFL anymore. You've got to be able to uh, press press the line of scrimmage, but you better be able to uh, be able to be flexed out to the slot. You better be able to uh, cause that uh, too deep coverage to split and uh, enforce those linebackers uh, to cover you out of the backfield. And I think that's where like the kid that's going to come out of Miami this year. Uh, the Johnson kid is one of those kids that I saw on the combine that caught the ball great and had a great uh, 40 time. And I know the 40's not all in, but, uh, you know, when you run uh, a sub-4-5, sub-4-4 run as a running back in the NFL today, then you're going to be able to uh, transform that team into a, uh, you know, one of those players that can cause big plays for you. And that's, and that's what makes it for an NFL team. Um, not the plotter, the guy that gets you, uh, three and four yards. Do you have a back that every once in a while can break the line of scrimmage and give you a 40 yard burst or, uh, a 20 yard burst into the end zone. And I think that's what's, that's what we're going to see, 
uh, in this year's draft. Everybody's saying that this year's draft is is not loaded with quarterbacks or running backs, but that uh, the wide receiving crew, uh, this kid Cooper, supposedly is going to be the first guy out. He seems to be the guy that uh, everybody is saying is going to be the first one that uh, comes back and uh, is that back that you need, that uh, that wide receiver uh, that gives you pressure off of your defense uh, by uh, making those short passes in the long ones. And I, uh, I, I like to think that there's going to be four or five uh wide receivers in that first round. And there's no doubt it'll be four or five wide receivers in that first round. But I guess my question is, how many quarterbacks do you think we might have in the first round? You know, this kid Hunley out of, out of UCLA, I, I think he could be a first-round um, quarterback. You know, we, and I, there's no doubt I think Mariota is going to be a first-round quarterback. If, if Jameis Winston can keep his head on, and not do anything stupid between now and the draft, I think he'll be a first-round quarterback. I think there was the only two. I think Mariota and Winston are the only two that go in the first round. Uh, Darrell, I don't think anybody else is that quality that you see that you would be willing to risk. I mean, a lot of them are good-looking kids, but they didn't lead their teams. You know, the kid from UCLA, uh, I think, they, you know, he had like 11 losses in the two years he was a, a starting quarterback. Well, if you can't do it in in, in college, how are you going to do it in the NFL? Well, I, I would agree with you. Um, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a level of talent that you're playing with, too. You know, um, I think this kid, Hunley at, um, at UCLA, I think he has the right mechanics. He's a big kid. Uh, I think he's played in a pro-style offense his, his entire career. It's it, One of the problems a lot of these guys have coming out of college coaches is they've never taken a snap under center. You know, oh, yeah. and, and, and you're going to have to take some snaps under center. Mariota, he, he's a kid that has not taken a lot of snaps from underneath the center. So, you know, um, that's that's an adjustment that NFL teams have to make when they're, when they're evaluating this talent that they're, that they're evaluating. Coach, I couldn't believe when they interviewed him. You know, they had their little interviews. Well, uh, when they interviewed him, the kid said he hadn't called a play in a huddle since high school. Mariota. Yeah. He yeah. Hadn't played. He hadn't called a, a play in the huddle since high school. And yeah. uh, I know that's not – a lot of people might not understand that as being a big thing, but I, I think it's a big thing because in the NFL, you're not going to run a two-minute offense the whole game all the time. Unless you, you, unless you go, if there's some way he could get drafted by his old coach Chip Kelly, maybe that would happen. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and do you do you think that um, do you think that that uh, Philadelphia may make an effort to move up to um, get a quarterback in this in this to get Mariota in this year's draft because of the relationship with Chip Kelly and Mariota. I think they'd have to give up too much, Coach. I think they'd have to give up uh, draft choices a long way back to make it happen. And I and I don't know that Chip Kelly's going to be willing to give up the form to try to get the prize cow. Yeah, you know, I think they've got other needs. 
I think he can win with the guys he's got on offense. Uh, I think Sanchez uh, showed that he can play in that offense. And I'm thinking that uh, if they're smart, they're going to pick up a couple of good defensive players in those first couple of rounds. Well, you know, the, the story is is that um, they're desperate for some defensive backs in Philadelphia. And, uh, and I would agree with that from watching them last year. They got toasted quite a bit. Um, but um, I really think that um, that Philadelphia is they're, – they're not going to stick with this theory of getting a, a wide receiver. We know they're not going to be in a position to get a quarterback. However, Chip Kelly has to make his mind up that, that Nick Foles is the future at, at the quarterback position for the Philadelphia Eagles, not Sanchez. Um, Sanchez, he, he's, he's been a loser. He was a, a double loser. A, a, a butt tackler in in New York, and he really did not prove himself at all when he had an opportunity in Philadelphia this past season. Hey guys, you listen to Sports Info UM on the Voice America Radio, and when we get back after these messages, we have a sports historian on uh, coming on our show, um, Curtis Miranda. Curtis played at FAMU University back in the late 50s and into the 60s. And he's going to be on our show talking about the NFL, the AFL back in the days and a whole lot more. We'll be right back with more Sports Info UM. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Are you ready for a show that's all about what goes on behind the scenes and how it relates to what you see on the field? Tune in for Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective on the Voice America Sports Channel. Our guests will bring you the stories, the opinions, the expertise, and the inspiration behind what you hear in sports news. Find out what happens next. Listen for Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective, live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're tuned in to Sports Info UM with Daryl and Sam. Call us today at 888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or send us an email at sportsinfoum3793 at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info UM. And on the line, we have 
Mr. Curtis Miranda. Uh, Mr. Curtis Miranda played at FAM. You won the national championship in 1957, 1959, and 1961. And Curtis was also drafted by the New York Giants in 1962 in the NFL and the New York Titans in 1962 in the AFL. Mr. Curtis, you're the only man I know drafted by both leagues. How you doing tonight? Well, they did draft me both times. One was trying to outdo the other, but I don't think I made the right decision at that particular time. Really? And and what decision was that you think you could have made different? I should have gone with the New York Titans mm-hmm. rather than the New York Giants. Okay. And and, and why do you think he went with the, the, uh, the Titans instead of the Giants? Well, the position I was planned and uh, I, that, that I was signed for, they did not put me in that position. And um, The Giants didn't? Yes. They didn't and put you at center? I, I had never played uh, outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. And when, I, when it came my way, I made a tackle when it threw my way. Uh, I made the interception, and and they put me in once at the um, at the middle, and when they put me at the middle, I made the tackles in the backfield. I picked up the men coming out for a pass, and I made interceptions or uh, knock it down, but that was the wrong position for a black man to be playing at that particular time, which was a uh, middle linebacker. And, uh, and Mr. Curtis, you know, in, in honor of um, Black History Month, uh, we have you on our show because you are truly, in my opinion, an um, a NFL historian, and, um, and you are definitely a, have had a legacy um, that's followed you from FAMU to the NFL uh, throughout the whole, whole city of Jacksonville, Florida. And, uh, and when you say something like, uh, I, I know at, at that time from talking to you in the past that um, the NFL either had two black players on a team at that time or they had four black players on a team at that time. And, and you know, you've told me this is because so you guys were roomed together. Yes, they would never have three, five, or seven. Because oh. we had to have a roommate who mm-hmm. was black, and they were all was two, four, six, eight, and most teams did not have over six, but the Giants did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my yeah. my my, uh, they had nine when they had cut down to the last, and I was the only one they needed to had to go because they wouldn't keep nine. And when we traveled, uh, Roosevelt Greer stayed by himself, and I stayed <laughs> with someone else. Right. Rosie Greer had his own room, huh? Oh, man, they, they wouldn't bother him. <laughs> he did what he wanted as he pleased. But he was a great ball player. Yeah, well... From the films I've seen, he he was an awesome ball player. Yeah. And and, and uh, Mr. Curtis, when you say middle linebacker was not a good position for a black man 
to be playing in the early 60s. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, they thought we were not intelligent enough to play middle linebacker and, and also center. Mm-hmm. And when they put us, uh, sometime when we were having practice, they would put me in center. And uh, why he tutor at that particular time, he said, man, I never had a ball put in my hand like that. I wish the, I wish the rest of the guys can do that because <laughs> you got to play it quick and because you, don't ha- you have a disadvantage, but if you can snap it and, and do it quick, uh, you, you, the advantage is on your side. And I would tell the quarterback, I'm coming with my left hand this time. And that means he had to switch his hand over. So I could do things like that back. Wow. you telling me Mr. Curtis used to snap with both hands, left and right? Yes, yes. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, playing center, you, you got to be able to do different things to keep all your teeth. <laughs> I have all mine. <laughs> I haven't lost any yet. Oh wow! Hey, so um, Mr. Curtis, you know, um, I, I I never really knew that it was that way with the linebacker position. And I yes. guess if I had only mm-hmm. thought about it, because you know, the linebacker is the quarterback on a defense in a lot of cases. That's um, true. So I could see where now where um, coaches wouldn't think that a black man was smart enough to make calls on at that position because they definitely didn't think that a black man was smart enough to make calls at the quarterback position at that time. So I could see where they would think the same thing about linebacker. Yes, most all black quarterbacks at that time when they went into the league, they brought them in as made them defensive back because they felt like they knew knew how to read the – Guys coming out, going out to to catch the ball, and um, that's why I think trying to call his name now. He went to Canada because he refused to play anything other than quarterback, and he went to Canada and it was very, very outstanding. And then they brought him back into the states. Oh boy, his name is not coming to me at this time, and at the same time. His mom was teaching at FAMU. I was told. Uh, I believe it was Sandy Stevens. That may have been the correct name, but I'm not sure on that right now. Would that be uh, Warren Moon that you're referring to, Mr. Curtis? No, Moon didn't come until later. Yeah, he didn't come until a lot later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now now the first the first black quarterback that I can remember was um was Shaq Harris when uh when he played for for LA. And you know, and I I I remember watching football in the early seventies. That was long after our time. Yeah, and I you know, like I said, I didn't I didn't even start watching the game until around seventy two, seventy three. And uh and Shaq Harris was the only um uh quarterback of color at that time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I found fact, out recently that because um, I thought I wasn't get was was not getting enough money, and I understand uh, Mike Dicker was was drafted at the same time. He and I got the same money, uh, and I did. That was hard for me to believe it until that time. But I told I was told that I had top dollar. But I never knew it at that particular time because I think the first time 
a football player made over uh, 30000 a year was uh, Brody, and he was quarterback for the, for the Rams, and uh, he came out with $100,000, and everybody thought that was big, big, big. I guess it was, though, back in that time. Wow. And, and Mr. Curtis, if you don't mind me asking, how much was your first contract in the NFL? Uh, bonus and and contract combined, seventeen thousand. Okay, and this was in this was in nineteen sixty two. Sixty one. Nineteen sixty one. Yeah, that was that was a nice chunk of change in nineteen sixty one. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking now. You know, you probably could have bought a brand new car for what about maybe four thousand. Probably I could have. Yeah, yeah, you know, and hey, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, that that was a nice little chunk of change in, yeah. in 1961. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, but um, you know, when you you know, I, this this is the thing that I I hate to put on myself because I, I do this a lot. When I was younger, I did it a lot, but now I I really don't. Um, do you have any what if questions? If I had only did something a little different if I had maybe not did something maybe my career would have been a little different or if I had only if I had been if I came up in this era of football do you have any what ifs or uh, if you had well I think so Um, when I first got there uh, we was coming out of the hotel and all the media came up to me. I wonder why they were all coming up to me with, with all the other guys there. But I guess because of what I had done at FAMU, and when we when I went to practice, we didn't have coaches at that time like they have now. They had po- they, now they have position coaches. But at that time, Dick Mojaleski and Pat, oh, Pat, he was a defensive back. They were the defensive coordinators for the team, and they played. So they saw my ability, but they was not going to take Sam Huff out of his position to put me in. Right. And that's why I said earlier, if I had gone to the to the other team, things mm-hmm. would have been much different. But... Another thing, too, and I think about this quite a bit, uh, if the black guys on the team, I believe, if they had spoken up like they speak up now, I think I still would have been there. But really? I was there alone. No one on my side, but... Mm-hmm. And I knew I was the best. Because they had, at the time, Sam Huff had a nickname, and his nickname was Potter Puff Huff. <laughs> and if you if where you said you didn't know anything about football back then, I think Sam Huff had one good game. But the four defensive linemen, their job was to keep everybody off the middle linebacker. Right. So he could make tackles. Yes. And the few times that they did, let me in the game. I made every tackle. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and, and 
Mr. Curtis, we have Coach Gordon Roberts on the line with us. Gordon, you have any questions for uh, Mr. Curtis? Mr. Curtis, how uh, how you were saying that one of the players was the defensive coordinator? Uh, did that was that pretty standard throughout the league? I don't know if it was throughout the league. On I knew it was like that with the with the Giants. And now, did y'all did y'all have to sleep in a different hotel than the other guy, the white players? We, uh, if we came south, um, we did, but we never did come further enough south to play to not have to do that because we came down and I think it was the they played the first double header and that's when they was breaking ground for the uh, Hall of Fame. So we right. flew in and then right after right after the game we flew back out and I was told that was the reason why we flew in and flew out. Because but, of the room situation? Yes. But I know for a fact that when when the Chicago Bears came to Jacksonville to play here several times, uh, the, the um, black guys rode down on the bus from the airport, and they dropped, their, dropped all the white ones off at the George Washington Hotel downtown. And on King's Road... Here in Jacksonville, they had a black motel, and that's where they all had to stay. Wow. Huh. That's amazing. Yeah. And then and then they can cut back then they can call you a, a, a name while the game is going on, and uh, nothing was said to them, uh, to the fan, and nothing was done. And especially going to play Green Bay. Yeah, I think it was awful going there to play. So Green Bay was probably the uh, most racism or racial undertones you heard was in, in that city? Yes, to me it was. Wow. And and do you think it was because um, they just were not used to seeing a lot of black people? Because I'm sure it's not. it wasn't a lot of black people in the city of Green Bay, Wisconsin at that time. Well, I think at the time when um, when 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 we went to Green Bay, um, you know, the team was all white at that time, and when they saw us walking down, it was nine of us had gone to a restaurant, and we was walking down the street. People were stopping their cars looking. <laughs> <laughs> because they had never stop. seen a black person before. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, Curtis, did you think that were they were y'all treated any better out west, like in Los Angeles or any of those places? Okay, well, we went out there and we stayed uh, a week. We got in one uh, one Wednesday and we played the Forty Niners and we stayed a week and went in and played the Rams. No, everything was all right because one of the football players, they waited on him. Now, we'd never waited on anyone. But Roosevelt uh, Greer, all the ball players was on the, on the bus to go to the airport. And, and Greer came up in a convertible Cadillac and got out of the Cadillac, and, and the girl, the, the lady, she had to be about 6'3". 
And he kissed her right there, and the, and the bus got so quiet. I it was said, a white lady? Because I had, I said, gray-haired day to myself. I had never seen anything like that. A black man kissing a white woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, say, yeah. Kurt, you say, gray-haired day, what's going yeah. on here, huh? Man, if something like that had happened in Jacksonville, and those folks had seen us, we'd have been dead. <laughs> Just because Rosie Greer kissed a white lady, all of y'all might have been dead, huh? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, wow, that is, that is, and we, and when I'm laughing about this now, Mr. Curtis, and I, and I really shouldn't be laughing about this, because this is serious, and we, and yeah. we really want our listeners to, to know that these things happen, and yeah. and and I and I can only I can only imagine the fear that you must have felt as a young man in your early twenties, seeing this six foot five black man kiss this six foot two white lady, and yeah. thinking, "Oh Lord, we might all go to jail right here today." Yeah. yeah, and and the fear that you must have felt, you know, you even though you know Rosie Greer was Rosie Greer, but the the, the fear. That had to go through you. That um, wow. I, yeah, you know, it did so, happen. Yeah, and 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 you're right. Can you can you imagine how some if if that had happened in in Georgia or even Florida? Yeah, uh, during during mm -hmm. that time. Wow. Yeah, man, yeah. we were we were treated exceptionally bad. I know one weekend I was coming home that particular weekend, and our car broke down in McClenny, Florida. And uh, Willie Clayton, who owned the car, called his dad to come pick come pick us up and to do whatever needed to be done to the car. And I had won four trophies at that particular time. And we were in front of a restaurant. And the state trooper came out and said, uh, what are you niggas doing? And Clayton said, well, my... My car stopped running. My dad is on the way to um, pick us up and tow the car home. And um, the, the state trooper had us to open the hood, I mean the trunk, and I had to open my suitcase and I had to show identification to, uh, to match the trophies that I had. And... and um, and he said, well, y'all got to get this damn car out of here. It's bad on these people's business for niggas to be broken down in front of the place. So, man, at that particular time, you know, that frightened us. And I guess we was about 20 miles from Baldwin. And, man, we almost pushed that car to Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> this is not funny, Mr. Curtis. <laughs> well, and, I, 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 and, and, you know, and... and because you were so afraid, though. And, and I can only imagine all, the fear that you must have All they have to do felt. is call another two or three guys. Yeah. Hey. And yeah. who was going to believe anything that we would have said at, at that particular time? Exactly. Yep, exactly. Hey, well, Mr. Curtis, please um, hang on with us. We got one more segment to go, and I want you to... Um, Tell us a little bit more about what was going on and how hard it was for a black man to be an athlete in America in the 60s 
in even going into the seventies. But uh, hey, Miss Curtis, please hang on with us. And hey, guys, okay. we got Curtis Miranda, a a football American football historian on the show with us tonight. And we'll be right back with more Sports Info UM on the Voice America Radio. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Sports Info UM with Daryl and Sam. Call us today at 888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or send us an email at sportsinfoum3793 at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info UM. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have Curtis Miranda on the show tonight, a true American football historian. Uh, Curtis won three national championships in college. He was drafted by the New York Giants and in the NFL and the the New York Titans in the AFL in 1962. Hey, welcome back, Mr. Miranda. Um, you know, some of your stories are so great, and uh, I really appreciate you being on our show again. Um, you know, you've, you've been awarded um, a lot of things. Um, they retired your number at, uh, at, at FAMU. Uh, excuse me for even bringing up that other school. But they retired your, your jersey at, at, uh, at FAMU. Yeah. Uh, I know that was a proud moment for you. Um, how, do, how, how, does, how does it make you feel to know that um, it's only been a few jerseys retired at, at that school and yours is one of them? Well, since mine was the first, I felt extremely good. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that, uh, uh, that happened was going on back then. I had a newspaper out of Pittsburgh, which was the Pittsburgh newspaper, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Courier, that was the name of it. And that was when they, that was the only time that, um, and they made all the black schools all Americans, and that was the only place that we could make all American 
and it be publicized. And um, I made it three-time All-American, and and I was was the first one to make it by the uh, the NIA, the uh, Associated Press, and it was one more, and I can't remember the name right now. But the only time that we could make All-American back then was the Pittsburgh Courier. Couldn't be that wow. in any white paper. Any, that was the only paper in the United States that recognized uh, African-American athletes at that time. Yes. To be an All-American. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And now we have dozens of All-American teams um, right. from college, and, and that was the only one. That, that's, to, to me, that's, you know, it's, it, it, now this is a, a, a prime example of how far we've really come um, yes. in, the, in the world of sports. And, um, you know, some things in, in our society, we still have some, some ways to go. But when we look at sports, and, and especially our sport, football, We've made some some drastic um, changes and some some really aggressive moves as far as um, um, equality in our sport. Um, we see yeah. coaches, we see quarterbacks, we see centers. I'll never forget when I was recruited by the University of Miami in 1982. The guy that recruited me, uh, Coach Ken Helton, he told me. He said, "I asked him. I say, uh, do we have any black quarterbacks?" He said, "Oh no, we, don't, we have no black quarterbacks." I said, "How about um, black offensive line?" He said, "Oh yeah, we about like most teams. We got one or two black offensive linemen, all white, all black wide receivers, all black running backs, and um, and got like like I said, one or two black offensive linemen." But he made it clear. They had no yeah. black quarterbacks, and really, they had no intentions of getting any black quarterbacks. Here. That's true. You know, so, you know, a lot of, but now when we look at things, a lot of things have changed from college to pros to the um, um, Canadian football to all levels of football. Now we see a lot of changes. Um, mm -hmm. um, Gordon was talking about um, the concussion thing while we were off the air. And, and what is, what is, what's your view on, on the situation that a lot of NFL players and college players are dealing with now with the concussion issue? Well, truly, I don't understand that one because the helmet is much better now. And uh, and I saw one, a friend of mine let me feel one, and with the, the installation they have in those, in those helmets now, unless it's them playing on the, on the carpet and what might be under the carpet. And I was trying to find out if anyone played on grass had received a, a concussion. I don't know if they have or not. But um, I think that may be a problem with the, field, the type field they're playing on. Well, Mr. Curtis, how big were you when you played? Uh, my playing weight at that particular time was 240. And, and, you and when, I, when I went to New York... They wanted their they wanted their linebackers to be two twenty five. So, but since I could outrun everybody on the team except the number one running back, they didn't bother me about my weight. I could play with my same weight. And the, the Giants didn't have a one man on the whole team could outrun me, and that was their number one running back at that particular time. Wow! Wow! 
and and Mr. Curtis, were were there were there any uh, black people in say um, management or equipment or um, like tr- athletic trainers, um, were there coaching? Were there any blacks in those positions no. back in the sixties? No. Curtis, how did the guy? One of the scouts for the Giants was black, and he played for the Giants. And I can't remember his name now, but man, when he came in to talk to the defense, when we was getting ready to play someone, everything he said was a fact. Everything he said, so he knew what he was talking about when when we scouted a team, what they would do on third and long, what they would do on first down. And he knew he knew exactly what he was was talking about at that at that particular time. I've never seen that done. Now, Curtis, how did guys like Y.E. Tittle treat you? Did they treat you very well or not? Yeah, I thought Y.E. was all right. He loved, he um, he enjoyed me snapping the ball to him because he said he'd never had a ball put in his hand as quick as I did. Um, and get back, but uh, most of his quarterbacking at that particular time were drop back because he would sell it. I think that's, I mean, from the shotgun, because I think the Giants, the one started the shotgun because of uh, Y.A.'s health, I mean height. <laughs> <laughs> now, who was your all's big running back in those? You said there was only one running back faster than you. Yes, um, his name was Bobby something, but it didn't do him any good to run the ball because every time he he got hit, he fumbled. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> couldn't hold, hold to it. <laughs> I wanted to hit him one day so bad in practice, but they protected him in practice. But I think if they had uh, let him got, got hit in practice, practice for him to hold on to the ball, but um, I never did get a chance, so I wanted to. <laughs> oh, hey, Mr. Curtis, before you go, uh, when, we, when I think about um, the situation that athletes had to deal with back in the 60s, uh, I, th- I think about, you know, as a, as a football player in the 80s, when I played in the 70s and 80s when I played, fans was a big part of it. And I guess the girls were a big part of it. And and trust me, um, white girls, black girls, it was just girls was a big part of it. How was it for you guys when you couldn't even look at a white woman for these people to be cheering for you so hard and you couldn't even basically turn around and, and and smile at one of those white white girls that was cheering so hard for the Giants to um, to win. Well, they told us they told us no one on that on the team can date a white girl, but I mean a, a cheerleader period. But there was no black cheerleaders at that particular time. Right. They were all white. Okay, so you just couldn't you couldn't date cheerleaders. Right. They didn't tell you not to date I white chicks. I don't think they bothered. Frank Gifford, because I think Frank did anything he wanted to do. And he was a pretty boy, and he was the, the, 
the uh, what the girls wanted to be with. I remember when we played when we went to Los Angeles to uh, play there. Um, the girls moved in the hotel with us, the same motel they was moving in with us, and I think, and I think I was told if you wanted one, it didn't cost but fifty dollars. But man, some I couldn't understand how those guys were just leaving home, and then they got to go do do stuff like that. I thought it was crazy. <laughs> Hey, well, uh, it's a whole lot more than $50 a day, Mr. Curtis. I understand that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that was big time back then. Well, I know so now because these guys, now, man, I don't see how a guy can get paid on Monday and be broke before the next Monday. <laughs> well, hey, Mr. Curtis, you know, we've had guys out here in the past that have actually pawn their whole NFL salary. You know what I'm saying? They know yes. they're going to make 400000 for this year, so they'll get some bank or some con artist to loan them 300000 They'll take the 300000 and every one of their paychecks they give to a loan shark. Yep. It's a bunch of craziness that go on with these guys. Yep. And you would think that some of these guys would learn from other people's mistakes and not make those same mistakes. Hey, Mr. Curtis, I really appreciate you coming on our show and helping us with uh, with our Black History celebration, and you being a um, and a, an African American and a, and a football historian. But one more thing I want to ask you before you go: I know you are not just a uh, African American; you are a Cuban American. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, Mr. Curtis, how you well, feel? That about worked you? good for me too. I never got drafted into the arms. I mean. Because I don't think they were drafting Spanish people back then. Wow. Well, looking at you, Mr. Curtis, and talking to you, a lot of people would not know that. And um, I just let the cat out the bag. You're not only an uh, African-American, you're a Cuban African. <laughs> yes. And we really appreciate you coming on our show. You made this a great show, and I hope that we'll be listening to this for years to come in the future. Okay. Appreciate yep. you calling. Hey, yep. thank you. I appreciate you, Mr. Curtis. Okay. Thanks again. Have a good night, and tell Miss Elizabeth I said hello, and thanks for everything. Okay, I'll tell her. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, you've been listening to Curtis Miranda, a true American football historian. Uh, man, Mr. Curtis has a lot of great stories. He's he's done a lot in his life. He still lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, hey, and we appreciate him coming on our show. Um, Coach, what a great, great show. Curtis Moran. What, what a great man. Yeah, what a great man. What a, what, 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 changes, a, what changes he's seen in his life, Daryl. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine him him playing in a league that had no coaches, no black coaches? He said they had one one black scout in their program to now where here it is, Todd Bowles is the is a new head coach for the New York um, um Jets who were at that time the New York Titans. Um, right. So, hey, th- th- he's seen a lot, and I know he appreciates it too, though. You know, I, I really know he appreciates the growth of, uh, of America, not just American football, the growth of America. Well, I agree with you, Daryl. It's changed a lot, and it needed to, and uh, it, it makes you – we laughed about it tonight, but it also should make us all real sad that it was like that. Yeah, and it really should all it, it should all make us um, 
make, make us appreciate what we have, but also in some way, form, another, we all should spread a little more love because that's what the, 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 the problem was in the past, Coach, is that we just we had a lot of hate because we didn't have a lot of love. And I think if we could just share a little more love, we're going to have a whole better world. And, uh, and I know Mr. Curtis must be saying a whole lot of love is being spread now compared to what he saw and had to deal with in the 60s and in the 50s when he was growing up. I agree. Yep. Yep. Well, Coach, thanks for everything. You want to give a shout-out to anybody? No, buddy. I'm, I'm ready for next week. Hey, let's do this, Coach. It's always fun. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Sports Info UM on the Voice America Radio. We'll be back next week with more Sports Info. Thanks again for listening. Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword will be back again next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel for more Sports Info UM. We'll see you then.